You don't sound autistic. Well, uh, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But, but we're talking about... Yeah, but, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. And I'm Michelle. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. We always like to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform so you can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Make sure that you join the Facebook group. Join the group. Join the conversation to find the Facebook group. Just look for You Don't Sound Autistic, YDSA. We like to welcome listeners from all over the United States and all over the world, different countries listening. So thank you so much. And all the people that have joined the Facebook group, new Facebook members and everyone that's joined the group in general. Thank you for joining. Don't forget that we also... Damn it, I'm not supposed to say don't forget. <laughs> Remember, we also have a website now, youdon'tsoundautistic.com, where you can check out episode show notes that Rochelle toils over and puts together, links to reference materials in the shop. Um, we are Amazon affiliated, Yep. so you can go on there. If you hear anything on the show, help us out. It will uh, help keep the lights on here at the show. And we're also distributorship affiliated for different uh, nutritional companies. Um, I have those uh, companies listed out on our about page, but I have not added those products to our shop yet. But when they do, there's the disclaimer. And of course, we have our new listener spiel that Rochelle likes to give every episode. I do. You Don't Sound Autistic is a mental and emotional health awareness podcast. Each week, we do our best to represent both neuroperspectives and talk about the continual discovery process of life on the spectrum. Our goal is to illuminate, uncover, and transparently discuss life with multi-diagnosis through a multi-generational neurodivergent lens. We follow an open, unscripted, conversational format that represents the real life back and forth of communication and collaboration. Even if you aren't raising the next generation, you'll find the comparison of the age groups helpful in seeing the more hidden patterns in the DNA of your lifestyle and lineage. All right. Let's get into it. Cool. What's going on this week? I finally feel like a human again. How about you? Oh, right. Yeah, because now we're no longer down with the COVID. <laughs> I feel like this experience has been so much different than the last time we went through it, and I'm feeling different after effects. I don't know if that's the right word, but like I actually have a much more evolved and greater sense of smell right off the bat than I've had in my entire life. Makes me want to fart really bad. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> that's yeah. funny. Um, yeah, I feel like uh, I, I didn't really feel like I got that sick. I don't I definitely haven't gotten any heightened senses or anything like that. Oh, and even my nerves feel differently. Like uh, for probably the last, where are we, Sunday? So from like Wednesday to Friday, I just kept saying, people would ask me how I'm doing. I'm like, my ne my nerves feel like they're at a rave. Like they just kept, you know, that constant moving jumble. I was having trouble like reading and focusing and the little micro ability to like differentiate my senses and sensory input was all jumbled and all my temperature sensitive um, gauges were off. I was normally like I was, I was hotter and said I'm normally colder. And so everything just seemed a little flipped on its end. But I think because you were boosted and I wasn't, I got, I got a much more severe. You got to get, you got to get boosted, man. Well, working on it. I just did. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't count. You got to go get the, the actual <laughs> the boost you're making well, the desk shake sorry um yeah so just trying to think of uh like we say this is not a scripted show so a lot of times we are just flying by the seat of our pants i think for me it just continued to raise awareness i mean i'm always thinking of like what a different nerve expressions feel like because what so much of our ability to focus and um, feel physically, you know, well so that we can, you know, start doing bigger things like, you know, even learning or goal setting or goal seeking, you know, you have to you have to feel good in your body. If you don't feel good in your body, 
emotional processing is going to take a, a back seat. I mean, if I got upset over something, I'd basically be like, well, I'll think about being upset about that later when I have the energy to think about it. I When you just physically don't feel well, um, nothing else matters. Like, I didn't even have the energy to get mad over stuff. I was like, well, there goes my mental. My mental is not as important. My emotional is not as important. <laughs> I wasn't learning new things. I was just trying to get my physical body back to ground zero. Yeah. How does that relate to autism, Rochelle? Well, <clears throat> the, I think so much of the daily experience starts with how your physical body feels. Um, at least from what I understand from my clients and from, from you and, and for Dequa, like if you're, you, but every single day you have to coordinate getting your body to feel well. And then from then you can, there you can start tacking on, you know, how you're going to represent yourself in social situations or preparing for, you know, the complexities of your day or organizations or managing transitions like how how many different things and places do you have to go today like the effort and energy it takes to get yourself through a full day um, can be derailed by physically feeling unwell or can be facilitated by physically feeling capable and nutritioned and well slept and you know I guess well rested is the term well slept well said <laughs> poorly said but you're the autistic one so you'd have to tell me more of is that in line with how you feel what, like what, if your physical body like where do you what needs to be balanced first in order to take on more parts of the day uh i guess that's a good question um let me think so you have to stack these what systems do you regulate first in order to take on more complex parts of your day? Physical, emotional, mental. I mean, I'd have to really think about that, I think. I think I'd have to think about that, I think. So if you wake up and you don't feel like going to work. Right. But your stomach feels out of whack and... You know, you just like, ugh. what do you do? Sometimes I just don't go to work. Okay. Or I'll go into work and see if I can manage for a certain amount of the day. Um, as people know, the uh, gastrointestinal issues are a real thing when it comes to uh, a lot of people with uh, autism mm -hmm. or who, who are autistic. I... I can never remember the right way to say it. I'm always feeling like I'm going to piss someone off by being like, you have autism. I think that's one of those things where people say you're not supposed to say that because it's not like a disease. No, it's not. But but I think we also need to allow for flexibility in conversation. I mean, like there's a lot of right ways to say something. And if the intention is pure. Right. You know, I mean, that's like, what I think. I think some people get too down into the nitty gritty of the vernacular and the, how you're supposed to how you're allegedly supposed to say things. And these are the same people that don't know the difference between there, there and there. Right. Right. I not all the, not all the time, but a lot of, you know what I mean? Sometimes it's just, well, I'm kind of hoping that we're in a place in our society where we're going to start moving away from needing to hear exactly what you want to hear. And, and I, because for so long, if you didn't hear things exactly the way you wanted to hear them, then it meant that the person that was saying it was obviously meaning something different. But I'm hoping that we're getting into a place that's so much more inclusion-based that has much more of an unconditional type of an energy to it where it's like, the, and, and then understanding that when it comes to the specificity of speech, Many of us might actually struggle in places like, oh, word recall, um, you know, being able to actually form the words and say them correctly. And so uh, insisting on someone's speech to be textbook perfect to represent that they know, you know, what's in their heart and what they're trying to say energetically is accurate. I'm, I'm hoping that we can be a bit softer in that process because... You know, like I'm not autistic, but I have speech challenges. Like I do not often. Yeah, you do. 
Right. And so if I'm being held and you've done this to me, like if I'm being held to the accuracy of my speech to reflect what you know to be true in my heart just because my mouth screwed up, you know, then I don't think that's fair to me either. And so at the, and it's not like I'm not trying. And it's not like I don't know. And it's not like I'm not speaking from the a, a depth of, of inclusion and, and respect because you know that I am just may not mean I get the right word out. So at some point in time, we're going to have to make those lines a bit softer because um, I don't believe we all need to go around identifying by our, our neurodivergence or what our complications or, you know, our challenges are. It's like, hi, I'm Rochelle. I can't speak straight. Um, and I don't think we should have to worry about that. I think we should be able to interact and make our mistakes and it be okay <laughs> because if you're coming from a place of like, you know, sincerity, then that should be what counts. I think sometimes um, I, for one, take things very literally when people say something. And so, but then I will say things and mean them literally and people don't understand. Like I remember I was dating this girl a long time ago and uh, sorry, woman. See right there, you've been corrected and I know who's done it to you. And that's her issue. She's projecting her issues of whether or not a woman can be considered a girl or a girl can be. Well, considered you say a girlfriend. You don't say my woman friend. I don't think I don't. Well, I'll just speak for myself. You I also say boyfriend. You don't say my man friend. No, you don't. That's the thing. There's so many contradictions in the way that speech works that is socially respected. I, I didn't. He's, he, I don't believe the need for you to have to change that. Word. I don't even know what I was going to say now. You were dating a girl. Yeah. Just wanted to brag. Oh. <laughs> um, I was dating a woman. Okay. And I remember we were having a conversation and she said something and I was like, well, that sounds like an ignorant thing to say. And she like immediately, did you say I'm ignorant? I was like, I didn't say you were ignorant. I just said it's an ignorant thing to say. And the reason is if you look up the like the textbook dictionary definition of the word ignorant it just means a lack of knowledge it's right. not like shouldn't be offensive which nobody wants to hear that they don't know what they're talking about well i learned that lesson <laughs> or maybe i haven't you haven't because you had no problem telling me when i was ignorant but i haven't i didn't use that word though i was more subtle about it yeah you would say i don't i think you copied a movie where you're like i don't think that word means what you think it means although i can't remember what movie that's from I don't think that works. No, that came from my brain. Oh. Okay. Well, all fair. So. So you're saying that being too literal can also get you in trouble and trying to speak with that kind of literal. Yeah. So it's precision. like a double edged sword. You speak in a literal manner with people and they get upset because you're saying something, but then they don't quite understand the literal meaning of the words. Right. Or you don't, and then people are pissed off because you're not using the words in a literal sense. Well, I think the thing that you kept saying to me, because we've had this particular conversation a lot, because I would misspeak frequently, especially in like the heat of the moment, and then you would sit there and autocorrect me, and I would get frustrated that you're autocorrecting me, and you're going, but Rochelle... If I don't autocorrect you and give you a chance to confirm or deny that that this is the word you meant to say, then I don't have a clue what you're actually trying to say. That's true. And I'm like, oh, that's, you know, like, yeah, that makes sense. Because, and so I, I try to do better at speaking slower so I can give my words a chance to come out right. Because I, I, my mother talking to her, like, I swear she's dyslexic also and she's verbally dyslexic like I am. And, um... And I can't get any help with it because when I try and talk to her like, hey, do you experience this? Like maybe we fell from the same branch of the tree. She just shuts me down like, ah, I can't even believe you're talking about this. I'm like, all right, you're useless. But I, it's important because it triggers the same thing. Like for she came up one time and, and I, I genuinely like when she's in town and we would hang out and but she and she's very generous with like she'd go to the Costco and go to the Costco <clears throat> go to the store or Costco and she'd buy a whole bunch of food for like the week 
and and then she would say to me, "Okay, well, we've got we've got uh, we've got enchiladas in the or burritos or whatever it was like in the refrigerator." And I'm like, "Okay," and I'd go to the refrigerator and I'm like, "I don't see anything. Like, I don't see what the thing. I don't see what you're talking about here." And days she'd be telling me, "Well, remember we've got those burritos in the um in the fridge." Finally, I'm like, "Mom, walk over here and pull out what you're talking about." And she pulls out this big container of taquitos. Okay. Totally not the same thing. And I'm like, "Mom, this says taquitos." Or and she goes, "Oh." And I'm like, "Are you like just calling this the wrong thing?" So we were having two completely separate conversations. What's really funny about that is that she teaches Spanish. <laughs> I know. I know. So that makes that funny. But it's just it when you constantly use the wrong words and then just expect everyone to like intuitively pick up what you're saying, then I think that it's two part. Like you we have a responsibility to speak as clearly as possible as much as we can and also not get offended by someone if they're trying to determine what the correct wording is because obviously we're not pulling something correct up. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily a problem that you run into because I think as I understand the database quality of an autistic mind, your database is much more, um, it's like a, it's like a bigger terabyte of data space and as long as you're organizing your thoughts and storing the information like in a logical way and not just throwing it all in there, then you'll have much more accurate recall, um, which is actually considered an autistic skill because that's not true for every, not every mind has that capability um, to the depth that an autistic mind does. To do what? The database quality. Like, yeah, I mean, for me, it's hard because I have ADHD and I'm autistic. Right. So there's a database, but it is f- fucked up. Your doctor said that when you got your evaluation. She said that if you don't focus well enough on your on storing and organizing your information, you're not going to be able to have that database recall. It's like a bunch of information written on post-it notes just thrown into a pile in a room. <laughs> like the movie Bruce Almighty. Not as well organized. Oh, well, that's fair. So it's, you know, but this is a big deal to kind of dive into sometimes because we rely so heavily on communication for so many aspects of of everyday life. So if your communication um, skills, if, you, if that's where you struggle, like it's not always about mirroring and masking that creates the, the communication challenges. Sometimes it's the ability to focus on the word. Sometimes it's the word recall of it. Sometimes you're its ability to speak the word. Um, there's so many other factors that go into it. And, and for me, I found a direct connection between how good or bad my physical body felt and how well I was able to like run the CPU in my brain. And if I didn't feel there was like a level where if I felt worse than this, this, this ground level, then forget it. Like I could barely talk. If I was at that level, then I could kind of like him and haw my way through 15 minutes of conversation. I had to get way above that level of feeling physically good before any of my communication skills could kind of kick in. Got it. So for you, you've got two different, actually four different, um, conditions that have a direct impact on how your mind works in comparison to how well your physical body works. Yeah. So actually you should be answering the question more than me. Like what's the question again? How well do you feel on a daily basis and what's the categorization of importance? Is it uh, for me, my physical body has to feel good before my emotions and my mental can really click into gear. What's the priority for you? I would say that's accurate. I need to feel physically good because then it just becomes more of a challenge because then I'm, I'm already like masking and having to kind of fight through the day to be able to feel like I'm being successful at what I do. Cause I mean, 
mostly talking about work since I spend a lot of my time working, but other things too become difficult, like just getting the motivation to go to the grocery store and pick up different items that I need for dinner, things that I need for Declan mm-hmm. can be a challenge. When you're physically not feeling well, how often do you find that like those social interactions trigger you more? Like, do you have more patience or less? I don't patience? know if I feel triggered more, but I just I think I have, yeah, I'm probably less patient. But I also find that I'm like avoiding people. Well, that's smart, actually. I think avoiding people, as antisocial as I know it sounds, I don't think we should think of it in terms of antisocial. I think we should think of it in terms of self-interest and self-preservation. Okay. I mean, that's an interesting way to spin it. I mean, that's in in essence what it is because I'm, you know, if I'm at work and I don't feel well in one way or another, you know, if my stomach doesn't feel well or if I'm just in general, like if I didn't sleep well enough or whatever, Mm -hmm. if I end up going to work and have to deal with customers, that's the part that's exhausting, having to talk on the phone and have to put on a smiling face to talk to people. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like, I just dread, like when I am in, if, if I'm in good spirits and I feel fine, um, I already dread having to go and like go up and talk to customers sometimes, but so I, but I have to put on that face and kind of like perform Mm -hmm. literally like I will walk up to the front and I'll see someone and I'm like, okay. And action. Yeah. To kind of conjure up the whole. Like it's, you know, the, the, that I'm playing a role. Yeah. Because I'm not necessarily being myself. No, not at all. And then like every time I answer the phone, it's like kind of the same thing. I'm like, all right. And then I answer the phone. And I'm like, hey, this is Blake. How can I help you? I mean, just hearing you talk about that, it just, it really um, calls to attention the types of positions you can kind of allow yourself to be put in. I mean, I, I'm... Um, Doggy style. it's a great position to be in i meant meant like if you were the hostess of a restaurant or something where you were like the expected to be this molded model face and voice you know to greet people or you know if you had to kind of tape like build this persona for work and a lot of companies do demand that like they don't respect necessarily individualistic um, self-expression because they want you to represent their brand in a very, you know, specific way. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be more difficult. I know, um, I'm working with my cousin to help, um, her find a new job and we've been working on her, on her resume. And one of the things that is really interesting is when she first sent me her resume, she had this whole section and she wrote it very honestly. I mean, you know, the authenticity of self-representation, was was really right on the point but she she phrased it as like well these are my weaknesses like I don't do well with people yelling at me and I don't do well with loud noises and I don't do well with like last minute changes or, or something the way she phrased it and I was like well maybe there's a way where we can represent these but not as like your weakness because I don't believe those are weaknesses I I think that in a work environment you know you can just say like this is the type of work environment that's best for me and then flip those things around. That's more like, you know, I do best with written instruction and, um, you know, um, a position that is, um, how did I phrase it? Not direct to consumer or something. So, you know, we can start to think of those things in terms you of mean customer facing. That's the way I, yes, that's the best way to say Direct it. to consumer. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I have to go back and rewrite it. I, I, wrote, I wrote it correctly. How I said it today was weird. Okay. Um, but, you know, just learning to position, like self-advocate for yourself, but do it from a place where you are still looking at the things that are socially kind of required, but not positioning them as weaknesses positioning them as just it's just the truth of what works for you is that you. something that you would normally put on a resume though there's a place for skills and, no i know um, there's a place for skills but you would you normally put on a resume a negative no you wouldn't but i think 
And that's what I was trying to coach her is like, let's not, let's not phrase this as negatives, as right. a weakness. Let's phrase this as like, this is the environment I work best in. Because then I think you're giving the employer the chance to look at the environment you work best in and f they have an obligation to look at your resume and decide whether that's a match. Like if they have an environment that they can give you that would match the environment you'd work best in. And um, the only time you can really ask those questions and get those kinds of matchups is during the interview process. And that requires you to know enough about who you are and what you need to be able to come and say that. But there's a lot of transparency out there in the hiring process right now that's teaching people like how to have these conversations with employers about money about skill set about salary about benefits about work environment and so i think these things would fall into those categories of work environment yeah and how do you represent yourself so that so you would say like my ideal working environment is x yeah <clears throat> yeah or like okay. how yeah because um, and I think we have a right to self-advocate for ourselves without putting anything of our medical mental history out there. I don't think we owe that to anyone in order to get a work environment that that matches. Well, there's there'd be too much uh, prejudice, I think, if you were like if you go on your resume and you're like, hey, I'm autistic. Yeah, I don't believe we owe that to them. Well, I think the main reason for that, it'd be great if you could do that and people would be like, oh, cool. But the problem is I think that there'd be a lot of prejudice because a lot of people are familiar with autism on a very macro level at best. And even then, we don't even, you know, 50% of them are wrong about what they think. Well, that's why I said at best. Right. Well, and it goes back to what we were saying. So about the physical part of it all, because the one thing that you could get, you know, kind of nailed on the most is like calling out for sick days. But... I think if there's a way to craft, well, okay, if I'm in a negative or toxic environment, you know, I, it is going to make me physically ill and I'm going to need, you know, I, that's just not an environment you can work in because your physical reaction to the fight or flight environment that being around like a toxic work environment or, you know, even having to, I don't know how you do it every day going up into the unpredictable circumstances of dealing with customers and you've done it for so long now. I mean... That's something that I think you don't get enough credit for. Um, but it does like it does take a, a toll on you. And there's Monday mornings when you're, you know, sick in bed with a upset stomach because you can only tolerate so much like it's going to affect them in work days and sick days. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but don't most people hate Mondays? Yeah. And if I remember right, or at least last time I saw the statistics for national deaths um more people die on monday morning than any other day of the week because it because they're just like i just can't take one more day of that motherfucker <laughs> i'm done i'm done it's monday morning i'm done Is yeah that well, true it, it last time i saw the statistics it was true yes i don't i don't know about now i mean they were pre-covid numbers so i don't okay. even i don't know but but they were a few years ago so the physical status quo or your st your physical health is so key and um like we've said before sleep and digestion if they're the they're the two biggest problems that you can start to gain some ground on is healing your sleep and healing your digestion you'll make a lot of headway in how much capacity you have for social interactions um the emotional processing need to get through. The, I mean, the next the next couple of months, our our need for emotional processing. I think if we <laughs> we think it, we need the needs have been high so far. I think they're going to be even higher. The what? The needs of what? I think there's going to be so many things that happen in the and the outside. We've had okay. Let me say this differently. <clears throat> Your news minute and your pop minute have been filled with some really big stuff in the first eight months of the year so far. Yeah. And they've been topics that, you know, can be highly triggering and we've had a lot of changes going on and both of those things can be difficult to kind of metabolize and emotionally process. And I think it's just the last four months of the year are going to be even more intense. Why do you say that? Oh, just the way it feels. It just, okay, so you're making a prediction. 
I'm just feeling, yeah, just it's feeling like, I don't know. Remember, I'm I'm an empathic person, so I feel things differently. Uh, my senses pick up information differently. I don't always know how to present it in words. I can just t- like tell you what it, what the energy around feels like is like someone's up there stirring a big bowl of batter or something, and it, everything's just getting stirred up, and you know it's just building to this climax. So it just feels like there's even more stuff coming and more intensity coming and. And so I, I was wondering about this priority for you for physical, mental, emotional, because when I think about these next four months, the need for emotional processing skills or like some extra tools to help us through some big trying months, I wanted to hear kind of what some of the tools you have for dealing with all the changes that come and how you feel about everything. What are your, what are your emotional tools? My emotional tools? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, and, and I really can't answer. I mean, I can my my answers are going to be, you know, feeling and empathic based, and so I don't know that I'm really one that can offer. I I think that um you'd be the best one to speak because I I don't know what it's like to be autistic and in that area I don't know what it's like to be ADHD and so I think those two factors alone will create a very different process like what are what does it feel like for you when you hear like big news like like when let's go way back to like when the war started with Ukraine and Russia like how did that feel for you far away okay so you took it literally like you process processed it literally it yeah. was literally distant so you were okay oh i mean i, I i'm not I, okay but i'm not okay about it but i'm not like oh that's great but it's so outside of my view as far as like what's affecting my day-to-day life so then how do you run like when you hear things they're emotionally upsetting to you how do you deal with that news like what's your process it depends on what uh, depends on who and where the information is coming from, what the information is, um, as to whether or not it's something that I'm going to process. And you know, for instance, the uh, a better example would probably be the uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned. I was just going to ask, yeah. You know, um, because I'm um, support women's rights and i think that it's important for you know a woman's body to be her and her doctor's business right um so when that happened but i wasn't like i don't know if i would say that i was like emotional like i'm like i didn't feel anything emotional about it necessarily okay um like i didn't when i say that I, i just mean i wasn't outwardly feeling emotional about it so you weren't like angry and enraged I mean, I was ups- I mean, I'm upset by it, but I I don't know, I just there's so many other things going on in my life that I'm just like it gets frustrated. I'm fr- you know, like more than anything, I'm probably f- like frustrated. Okay. Because I feel like I I feel powerless to help. Okay. That's fair. Cuz it seems like something that's none of the friggin uh Supreme Court's you know, business it should just be a thing that is what it is that women can get help if they need it right because it's not a it's not a simple thing you know it's it's like you're you're kind of you're taking something and you're saying that it's a blanket statement that a woman can't do this but the fact of the matter is then you're ostracizing women that have partial miscarriages and then they can't get the help that they need or women that are raped or women that are um uh well i mean raped i guess would be like one of the terrible things that can happen yeah um and that that no none of those things are a reason like it's so it's funny from someone that's like a literal thinker that it's such black and white literal thinking that it's only it's 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 my way or the highway kind of thing. There's no exceptions. Right. I find that part really a struggle too. Um, so then what... How did you... 
I had a whole question that I got sidetracked. So, so you're, you're saying, go ahead, Rochelle, use I some know. words. <laughs> Sorry. Dead air. I know. I lost my whole thought. I was following, going to follow that up with something and then I just lost it. So I guess I'm just wondering now, were you, did you always process information this way? Or did you feel like you were more inflamed by things you heard like before? Because you've mentioned a lot of times like when when I first I don't usually I don't normally hear information and then immediately react emotionally. Okay, so it usually takes me time to digest the information before, you know, like when uh like if someone that I know passes away. Okay, so grief. Sure. You take I'm just, grief. I'm just giving you an example. Okay. Um, of something. So something that most people can relate to. Yeah. If you, you know, if someone passes away, I w- I'm not immediately like devastated by their death. Like it, I, you know, I like I, I, mean, I, I went into a, a maybe a better example than that because that's so depressing. Um, on my 16th birthday. Uh, I was hanging out with my friend Joey and then we went to spend some time with my cousin and I, I don't remember, but it was one of those weird things. It was like, yeah, we're going to hang out with my cousin. And then he's like, Hey, you guys want to check out the pool? The, the pool house is really cool. So we go down to the pool and I looked through the glass of the pool house and I was like, Oh my God, I know that guy. It's my friend, Matt, like this dude that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, let's go say hi. So we go around the corner and I walk in and it's surprise. And it was a surprise party for my 16th birthday. Oh, wow. And I was just standing there like, duh. Um, and my aunt came up to me and she's like, you know, you could show a little bit more surprise because your mom uh, wanted to plan this for you. And it's been a big, big deal. And you walked in and you weren't, a, you didn't seem like you like appreciated it or anything, but I was uh, just more, I was, I was like, no, I was legitimately, that is me being surprised. Right. And, and because you weren't raised with, with anyone who knew not being critical, it just, you, you're late diagnosed. And so nobody knew you were autistic or even knew what that meant. So you were expected to have this almost like, you know, movie screen like type over reaction. The, over the top reaction and I just stood there. There's a picture of me walking in and I'm just like, oh yeah, this is a surprise. You're just all cool as a cucumber and yeah. it, was it, so in that moment were you feeling like, okay, I just need a moment to take all this in or you were just like, oh, okay, like walk. I mean, I'm not sitting there thinking like, oh, I need a moment to take this in, but I, but I do need a moment to take things in. Right. I get you. I'm not. It, it, it's not like it's at the top of my brain where I'm like, I'm going to need a moment to process this. And yet um, I was just talking to my aunt today about people who have sort of that really fake programmed response to social interactions that just seems so over the top and inauthentic. It's like and you know who they are because they answer the phone exactly the same way every single time. And every single time they see you, they just act like like they're so glad you walked in the room and you know they barely know you and so you're going you don't even care you know that hi how are you oh my gosh hi and you just sit there and you think that's fake as fuck man like so i i think the one of the challenges is finding the middle between the two i almost to the point where you don't even know like which is authentic the fake part the what feels really fake and contrived and identical to everyone so it can't possibly be a reflection of how that person actually feels about you or say your response which is more subdued right and you know very subtle (laughs) at best (laughs) well and i think that's part of why you got accused of being ungrateful a lot as a kid because you didn't have sort of the over the top pre-programmed expressions and responses to surprises and um you know gifts and last minute things right yeah surprises that was i mean that was probably one of the surprises where it was like a good surprise where i actually did well with it like i didn't freak out about it or anything um and i think the reason is because my so when i was probably like four or five years old my sister had a surprise party for her Maybe she was like 16 or something like that. Well, if you were five, yeah, she'd have to be. 
18. Or maybe she was like 17. I don't know. She's 12 years older or 11 to 12 years older, something like that. It doesn't matter. Anyway, the point is that my mom let me stay up late and be there for the surprise. And then it was my sister's friends and I had to kick rocks and go to my friend Maria's house to hang out. Right. But I always thought it was the coolest thing. I was like, what a, what an idea. A surprise party. Mm. So I was like, I want a surprise party one day. And she's like, ah, oh, maybe someday. Okay. And so then, then you finally get it. Yeah. I was surprised. Right. But you were still, so you're still saying in both responses, like it's just going to take you a minute to kind of process this and put it. So that you're probably feeling the same. Your, your process is probably similar when anything that comes at you is a surprise, whether it's, you know, something that's meant to be beneficial and in your honor, like a part, like a birthday party or like some big headline in the news that can feel like a big change and unexpected surprise. And then there's what comes next is that transition from what you thought you were doing to what you're doing now or what you thought life was going to be and how that's going to change. Like there's, there's always the trend in autism. There's so much more um, emphasis on the actual transition from from task to task or event to event or change to change because that's often where you can get stuck. Well, I think that when I see the, if I see the change coming in an immediate fashion, Mm -hmm. then it affects me more quickly. Okay. Because then I'm experiencing the discombobulation Sure. If you will, yeah. of whatever the situation might be. So And expected to immediately transition into it at the same time. Yeah, like the example I've given where my mom and my uh stepdad were you know, we were supposed to go to the movies that one time. Oh yeah. And then yeah, they yeah. took me to medieval times instead. Yep, this is where you got called ungrateful. And so I would I freaked out and was like super upset and then we we got to medieval times and then they were like, See, see, this is what you uh, we're taking you here and right. I was like oh this is awesome right but, but the it, whole but car it, ride like, over was a meltdown right right yeah, so it's it, also like when you got me those uh, um, Mel Brooks tickets oh that was a hard morning oh my goodness and I don't I didn't know how to handle it because you know how do you prepare yourself how do you pre- when do you spoil the surprise that was the day that I was really getting my my insight into an expectation based reality and what that really means because what I had set up for you as the day is events I knew I was going to shift but I thought based on when I had planned because we had a wedding to go through that morning and then we left early for the wedding from the wedding to go back down into downtown Denver to to find the Mel Brooks show and I was convinced that all I had to do was wait until the car ride back to Denver to tell you and but by then you had already pre-planned out how you were going to spend the rest of the day and you were attached to how you were going to spend the rest of the day so even though I handed you Mel Brooks tickets you were not pleased with me at all (laughs) you were very sorry about that um and I was I don't know five six no she's I was seven months pregnant so not necessarily at my peak of emotional processing yeah I'm sorry okay no it's okay it's I, you know, those are live and learn type of events. We didn't have anyone guiding us saying, hey, the transition is going to be an issue. What in fact I should have done is given you the tickets and told you about the day the night before, before you had time to pre-plan out how you were going to spend the day. Because if you go back to the ADHD side of how that impacts your processing in those moments, that, that change that last minute change like you've got to deal with the transition piece of how you're going to make the transition but from an ADHD perspective like when you create a sequence for your day you're using all of your energy to stay on that track and not derail yourself right so what I didn't realize is I was going to create a transition issue and at the same time trigger a derailment in your daily track you know like your ability to feel like you were that you were making your goals and staying you know, um, on that on your goals. And so I double triggered you because I didn't know any different. And, you know, that's kind of what this, what we try and do here every week is to illuminate these kind of finer points 
of daily life that we know the relationships are going through, how and why we got there and what we could have done about it. Because now to our credit, in the 45 minutes it took us to drive from North Boulder back down into Denver, we'd managed to decide to go to the show because at one point in that drive, we were going to blow off the tickets and go home. It was more important for you to stay on track. Right. That's right. I'm the real hero here. (laughs) Actually, you are the one that saved the day because by that point I was going to drive on home like you'd asked. Yeah. And I, I wasn't, I didn't know how to recover the situation. So I felt like anything I tried to do was going to make it worse. So I backed completely off. Well, I mean, a big part of that is I, I think with someone that's autistic, at least for me, you have to communicate with them a little bit differently than you would, you know, you can't surprise an autistic person the same way you can surprise like a normie. No, you can't. And and then I think that process is even different um, with ADHD because the impulsivity of ADHD means that you are going to, you're just going to handle all the, you, you're the kind of person that always, especially when you were feeling better, like I haven't noticed this so much since you've been on all the medication. I know that's part of what you're trying to adjust back. But before all that, like you were a multi-passionate person, you'd wake up in the day and you would like go, Oh, it's Saturday. And and I've had this idea and I saw that. And this is before like TikTok was a big deal. We didn't have TikTok accounts at this point. So you, your level of inspiration was even less than it is today. And you'd wake up on a Saturday completely fired up to like relandscape the entire backyard. And at the same time, you know, like go do this finger painting thing in the back. You, You had like four or five big plans that would take a week to execute and you wanted to do them all in one day. Right. Yeah. I I like to get everything done in one day. Who doesn't? Yeah. So when you wake up the next day, you can start with a whole new list of things. So, you know, when you have a multi-passionate person like that and, and you're trying to rein in all those ideas and decide which one or two or three you can, you know, conceivably get done, it's hard to tell yourself no and decide that priority. So then I always go back to, you know, what's the priority? Do, do you, if you feel well, then can you tackle those more progressive next steps in the day? Or do you spend all your day trying to just feel good? And now that you're on the medication, I, I wonder if that's even more different because you've said that you kind of feel really almost plateaued in your energy. and Yeah, my I feel like my personality is muted. I mean, by observation, I would agree. It's You definitely don't have that same. And I know part of it is to kind of manage the impulsivity, but I think it's been managed too far. It's like, I mean, but you still you still have more of a social life than I do, so you're still being driven to go out. I mean, you're, you're finding those opportunities and creating those moments. Yeah. But it's not the same as like having all these ideas of things you want to do. Sometimes it feels like I'm going through the motions, though. Oh, really? When it comes to social activities. Okay. But are you doing anything you don't want to do? Not necessarily. I'm just saying that like when it comes to going out, like a lot of times I'm just kind of like, I'm going out, I'm going to enjoy myself. And then I have to, it's, I just don't feel like I'm as fun as I used to be. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that that's true. I think, I think what you're probably missing is the is the physical energy of the spark that you used to bring to the events you were in. Like you always kind of had that extra pep in your step and and there's a I have less pep. You were right. Yeah, it's just but I think but uh, I mean I don't know what your medications like. I don't know what stimulants are like. I know that um every person reacts differently to every single medication out there including things like Tylenol and ibuprofen, but you know, like I have this nerve thing uh, in my neck and I have some extreme nerve, bilateral nerve pain. My hands go numb. My arms go numb. Um, and so they've given me a round of a new round of medication for that. And um, they're like, oh, it's nerve pain medication. And I was like, OK, great. What's this? And I get it filled and it's it's an anti-anxiety medication. I was like, wait, so we're treating anti-anxiety and physical compression of nerves with the same medication? 
Yeah, a lot of my medications that I take, they're like, oh, this is for gout, but it also helps with ADHD. I'm not I'm not saying it literally helps with gout, but I'm just saying like a funny thing that is completely unrelated. It's like not only is this a boner pill, Blake, right? But it's also good for you know stress. And I'm like, all right, nothing stress, nothing stressful about walking around with a boner all day. <laughs> well, and I as a, I understand some of the early anti-anxiety medications. The one I'm on included, which is amitriptyline. As I was reading about it, they said it was originally discovered. Um, they were working on new his, new histamine drugs, like new things to help allergies. And you know what? When I say histamines, like your allergic responses. Yeah. Or um, histamines can also be connected to our elimination. Like it's that whole inflammatory process. So it's the the nat- the body's natural inflammatory process for invaders and things. They're all kind of connected. So they were researching and working on better histamine medication and develop this class of anti-anxiety medication, which they're also using for like physical structural nerve pain. And the first time I took it, I felt like I was on a massive muscle relaxer and I had no energy and I felt, I felt not just numb, but like I could barely even get out of bed. And I remember complaining to my sister. I'm like, why are they doing this? Why? Like anxiety is a lot of things. And I know it can, you know, can feel like that edgy nerve feeling, but that's not the only reason that we have anxiety. Why are they treating it with like, this just didn't make sense. Like why, why is this the route they were going? And she goes, well, some people do, and she has anxiety and um, she has chronic anxiety. And she goes, well, some people for, for them, it does feel like a literal edginess in the nerves. And I didn't know that. Okay. But you have anxiety. Is that, can you separate out when you're feeling like the symptoms of different things or does it just all feel? It depends. So like, I don't really have, I haven't really had a panic attack in a while, but I used to feel like I was having, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I, I guess I do get them, but I'm able to kind of moderate them in my brain and, and outwit them. Because okay. sometimes, for me, it, it a lot of times it comes, it feels like deja vu. So when I feel like something's deja vu, it makes me feel really anxious. Oh, really? Well, I know yeah. you don't like it deja vu. I didn't know if that's the why. I'm just saying it triggers anxiety. Okay. Because I feel like, I'm like, oh my God, I've done this before. Then I feel like I'm, I'm I don't have power over my life. Hmm. And see, I love deja vu. That Great. tells me Good I'm, for you. That tells me I'm on the right path. That tells me I dreamt about it. And I was like in my dreams going, yeah, I like where this direction is going. That's where I want my life to go. And then eventually I come to a moment. And I'm like, oh, I've been here before in my dreams. Oh, I made it. I can, yes, I steered my life here. This is good news. That's, but that's based on a lot of my background beliefs. You're a weirdo. <laughs> okay. Um. See where are we at time wise. Okay, well that's fair. I appreciate you sharing all that because these are just, you know, I'm interested and everyone experiences things differently, and I just wanted to know more about how things feel for you. Okay. Are we ready for stuff? Yeah, we've. It's been a week. Yeah, um, I don't have a ton because I was still sick last week. Right. Um, the only thing that I really thought to mention was, uh, you heard about Anne Hesh mm-hmm. or Hesh, was that, was that her name? Well, I'm pretty sure Alexa heard us recording the last episode. And so then she started pushing me updates. Um, because apparently she was in a terrible car crash, then she was on life support and then I think she's been taken off life support. I read So they're it. saying like they were saying that she was dead but she wasn't technically dead but she's like brain dead. Yeah, I read an article from the family that said that she wasn't expected to survive. Right. Her injuries. Um Anyway, so you know it's bad news. I don't know if that's like kind of a news minute kind of thing. Mhm. But I uh, just wanted to bring it up just because it is something that's going on in the world. Yeah. And time for Pop Minute. And again, I only have one thing for Pop Minute. It's not really super. I mean, it's pop. It's pop culture for sure. 
The 13th and final episode of Better Call Saul is set to hit your TVs and devices on Monday, August 15th, which is probably going to be around the same time this episode uh, goes live. The prequel series to Breaking Bad has been running for six seasons. The show picks up with a few familiar... uh, I rubbed off on you. I'm sorry. Well, I think it's because I wrote few familiar faces and Mm -hmm. the alliteration just kind of threw me off. Including Bob Odenkirk, the titular character known as Jimmy McGill, later known as Saul Goodman, a play on Saul Goodman. Other notable Breaking Bad characters that return to the series include Jonathan Banks as Mike Ehrmantraut, Giancarlo Esposito as Gus Fring, Mark Margolis as Hector Salamanca, a few others as well as Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul making cameos later in the series as Walter White and uh, Jesse Pinkman. It's definitely a slow burn at first, but once more familiar faces begin to show up, the series really comes into its own and fleshes out the background of some of Breaking Bad's most noteworthy characters. Wow. So stay tuned for the series finale. Okay. Series finale. Oh, I got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah. Six seasons behind. Well, dang. Okay. So that's all I got this week, though. Okay. Didn't really have a ton of stuff. Have you heard of the um, online pharmacy that uh, Mark Cuban built? I heard about it because he was on TikTok talking about it. Cost plus drugs, I think is what he calls it. Okay. Um, the Mark Cuban cost plus drugs company. Yeah. Um, as I understand it, it's going to revolutionize our access to medications. Um, and they're really transparent about their pricing, but I just bring it up because not everyone, like you've said before, like has insurance and, um, myself included. Yeah. And so some of those medications we were paying quite a fortune for, or you were, but his, um, he sells generic drugs at a flat 15% markup above its cost, plus a $3 pharmacy fee and another $5 for shipping. And that's it. So, um, I, if you're in a situation where you need medication and have, you know, are having trouble, just, I wanted to bring that up in case it's not something you've heard of yet. Um, cost plus drugs. All right, let's get everyone fucked up on cost plus drugs. No, let's try and save people some money. I mean, I I'm think, kidding. I think what Mark is doing is is amazing and admirable, and I think I'm grateful. I'm just grateful that he puts that out there. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Mark Cuban, for being a billionaire and doing the good and doing the right thing, doing with the it, Lord's like work, actually using it for the betterment of the people. Actually, not just the whole oh, it all trickles down and then it doesn't because it doesn't. All right. Okay, I think that about does it for us this week. Sounds good. Okay. And this is episode 49. We will be celebrating our 50th episode coming up next. Um, So stay tuned for that. I'm Blake. And I'm Michelle. And we'll be back.